Women in Wellbeing is an Evans Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Marala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. This month's podcast is sponsored in memory of Esti Mal, whose warmth, sensitivity, wisdom, and genuine ability to listen were felt by all who knew her. She took special pride in her beautiful family, planting the seeds of joy and love of Yiddishkeit that nurtured them all. May her neshama have an aliyah. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Eden Center Women and Wellbeing Podcast in honor of Chodesh Shvat. This month, we'll be looking at connections between Tubishvat imagery and women's fertility, as well as the female body's cycles and seasons. Just after these Torah thoughts, I will be talking with Dr. Jordi Hyman about her incredibly important work as a fertility specialist and about women's fertility, education, challenges, and well-being. A very worthwhile listen. Shvat is a month which is characterized by potential. The seeds have been planted and the first early signs of blossoms can be seen. These are signs of a process which God willing will culminate in the bursting forth of new fruits. It is not so surprising that this language of fruitfulness is used frequently in Tanakh and Midrash to characterize the process of human fertility. Just note the language of seed or zera, implantation, and the command to procreate, pru or vu. Yet it is significant to note that Jewish sources use the imagery of fruitfulness as a metaphor for other gifts and other offspring which people produce in this world. The Midrash Tanchuma looks at the verse in Parshat Noach which states, These are the offspring of Noach. Noach was righteous in his generations. Why does it say it's about to list his offspring and then not list his children? This verse is interpreted by the Midrash by connecting it with another pasuk from Mishlei, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Says the Midrash, when a person passes away childless, he grieves and weeps. Thereupon, the Holy One, blessed be he, consoles him with the words, why do you weep over having left no fruit in this world? You have left fruit that is more desirable than children. Sovereign of the universe, says the man, what fruit did I produce? The Holy One, blessed be he, replies, the Torah which you observed concerning the pasuk, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The verse does not say that children are a tree of life, but the fruit of a righteous is a tree of life. Accordingly, man's or humankind's most desirable offspring are his or her good works. Hence it is written, these are the offspring of Noah. Noah was in his generation a righteous man. Here we see that people can bear fruits and have an impact in this world in different ways through having children to carry on the link of tradition by living a life of Torah and mitzvot, and specifically the good deeds a person does, are also counted as his or her offspring. These sources bring to mind a well-known and poignant rabbinic story about the miracle worker, Choni Hamagel. There are various stories about Choni in the Talmud, often related to rain, yet the story I'm thinking of is a story about aging and about questioning what fruits one leaves aside, one leaves behind in this world. The story appears in Masachet Hanit, and it goes as follows. One day, Choni was walking along the road when he saw a man planting a carob tree. 
Choni said to him, This tree, after how many years will it bear fruit? The man said to him, It will not produce fruit for at least 70 years. Choni said to him, Is it obvious to you that you should live 70 years and you'd expect to benefit from this tree? The man said, That man himself found a world full of carob trees, just as my ancestors planted for me. I too am planting for my descendants. Choni sat down and ate bread. Sleep overcame him and he, and, and he fell asleep. A cliff formed around him and he disappeared from sight and slept for 70 years. When he awoke, he saw a certain man gathering carob trees from that tree, gathering carobs from that tree. Choni said to him, are you the one who planted this tree? And the man said, I am his grandson. Choni said to him, I can learn from this that I have slept for 70 years. And indeed, he saw that his donkey had sired several herds of other donkeys during those many years. Choni went home and said to the members of his household, Is the son of Choni Amagel alive? They said to him, His son is no longer with us, but his grandson is alive. He said to them, Well, that's me. I'm Choni Amagel. They didn't believe him. He went to the Beit Midrash, where he heard the sages say about one scholar, His halachot are as enlightening and clear as the years of Choni Amagel. For when Choni Amagel would enter the Beit Midrash, he would resolve for the sages any difficulty they had. Choni said to them, I am he, but they did not believe him and did not pay him proper respect. Choni became very upset, prayed for mercy, and passed away. Rava said, this explains the folk saying that people say, give me friendship or give me death. The story of Choni expresses an understandable human concern. What is the point of planting trees which will only be a benefit years after we are gone? Choni, who has incredible gifts and connection to God in other Talmudic stories, is used to having immediate gratification and answers. When he prays for rain, he is answered immediately. In this story, though, he is taught the value of patience, of planting not necessarily for himself, but for others, just as others have planted for him. He is also taught the importance of taking the long view and understanding that not all plans of planting and fertility go as smoothly planned. Choni struggles to see the value in long-term planting in the relationship between himself and future generations. In the scene in his home, his grandchildren don't believe it could be him. And again in the Beit Midrash, Choni is on, is, is on the one hand remembered for his brilliant erudition, but also not recognized and not believed when he says he is Choni back after 70 years of absence. In the Choni story, children, nature, and tradition work together to highlight the purpose of planting, of investing in this world, and in passing down our tradition. Choni teaches us the significance of taking the long view and being able to believe in the potential, in our own potential to bear fruits through family, through Torah, and through Maasim Tovim. Please stay tuned for my interview with Dr. Hyman coming up next. Dr. Jordana Hyman is a graduate of Monash University Medical School in Melbourne, Australia, and completed her OBGYN residency at Shari Tzedek Hospital in Jerusalem. Dr. Hyman went on to fulfill a two-year fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at McGill University, Canada in 2013. She has been working intensely in the field of in vitro fertilization for over 10 years and is currently a senior staff specialist in Shari Tzedek's IVF unit, heading the fertility, preservation, and egg donor programs 
as well as directing the fertility clinics of Kalit Health Services in the Jerusalem region. She's the medical director of Nishmat's Geffen Fertility Advisors course. She also teaches Eden Kala and Chatan teachers, Nishmat Yuatzot Halacha, Matan Morot Halacha, high school staff and students. She is highly regarded for her professionalism, her compassion, and her warm bedside manner. Hello, Dr. Jordana Hyman. Thank you again Hi. so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for inviting me. And Chodesh Tov. That's right, Chodesh Tov. Uh, tu Bishvat, which is coming up soon, uh, celebrates the beginning of the blossoming and all the inner workings and growth that happens underground during the winter. This helps us stay in tune with the seasons and the natural cycles of growth and maturity. Uh, it seems to me that this is a nice parallel to your work in fertility and reproduction. How would you connect the themes of Chodesh Shvat with the work you do with women and couples? So I think that this is the time when we see the blossoming of what's been maybe growing or coming to fruition. We see it actually emerge um, at this time of year, even though I have to say this, this year in Israel, winter isn't exactly winter. I, I've been seeing like, buds of Shkadiot for a while we're a little bit off track but uh and you never know it could rain again but in general what we expect in Israel is very clear seasonal patterns um and the times of rain and the times where we expect blossoming and budding um and and fruits being produced and I think that part of what is important to recognize and understand in fertility is is not just that we as women and as couples having families and, and pregnancy and childbirth, um, obviously there are cycles, there are menstrual cycles, there are monthly cycles, and there are also times where we expect women to be fertile and times when we're sort of past that fertile window or before the fertile window. Um, so I don't know if you have the exact parallel with all, all trees and plants, but but they definitely are the expected seasons. And I think that that's something that, that we need to recognize and understand. Um, and something that I enjoyed learning actually in, in Masechet Tanit about how to know when we should pray for rain. Like when's the time when if it hasn't rained by, we mm. should be saying, wait, if there isn't rain, then then this is when we need to, this is when we need to be governing. Like there needs to be, this is what we expect. And I think that, knowing the expectations of fertility can help guide women and couples to know what's a normal amount of time for nature to take its course and when do we need to seek help. So, you know, while while, while my general bracha is one of fertility and pruravu and, and, and seeing the blossom and, and reaping what we what we sow um i think it's also important to know well wait, wait a minute when when do we actually need to stop and and turn for help and maybe find out if something isn't going according to the way it should according to nature but but it sometimes takes people by surprise that the natural course of fertility is not that you know every month a woman is going to conceive um, I, I think that in the animal kingdom, there are some species where every single time a woman, a, a female of the species is in estrus or in heat, that they'll, they'll conceive. But women are not like that. Um, and and some, some people are shocked. They're like, but, but I was ovulating and we were together. How is it possible? 
Um, and and when you sort of explain, well, we don't expect that, you know, we expect maybe 15, 20% of couples are going to conceive, e- even if they're together during ovulation, even if everything's lined up perfectly, it still takes us as humans a while to conceive. So, so mm. I guess knowing what's, what's within natural and expected and when to turn to help would be the message that I connect to when I'm thinking about Shvat and, and blossoming and fruitfulness um, and, and, and understanding Teva or nature um, and, and also being grateful for all those, for all those miracles. Like it's, it's a month where we express a lot of gratitude um, at the nature and the beauty around us. And I think that I still, after years in this field and, and, you know, I can be totally blown away by, by, by things like little things in the lab or the joy of a couple that find out that they're pregnant or, you know, the, the tiniest little, little bit of progress feels like, wow, you know, there, there's that flower, there's that blossom, there's, there's that beauty um, and, and that inspiration to keep going. So, so that would be my other, on a personal note, you know, being, being constantly inspired by, by growth and change and, and renewal and the energy that that gives, um, which is also really important, um, working hard, you know, day after day to have that, to have that, that inspiration and, and see that the hard work that sometimes you don't see, you know, you, you don't, you don't see it because you're so focused um, and there are those dark, gloomy days. And I feel like for, for some couples, they're stuck in those winter months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, the, and there's the tears, there's the rain, there's the pain, there's the tefillot. Um, and, and, and I guess having the perspective of seasons also helps us understand that life is seasonal. You know, whether we're talking about, you know, birth and, and the cycle of life and, and, and death and, and seeing life as a cycle, which the seasons also gives us, but, but I guess I'm focusing more on, on fertility. Yes. You know, there's, um, I believe it's the Ramban who points out beautifully that it does say Purvu uh, a few times in, in, in the beginning of Bereshit. And one, and Ramban explains that one time it's a Braha and elsewhere it's a Tzivui, a command. And it really, what the, when I really, that came to mind as you were describing the experience and the work you do, um, how it is very much both. It is very much, uh, you know, the, the putting in the effort, the Hishtadlut, as well as the Bracha, um, that it should come with blessing and uh, go smoothly. So I look forward to hearing a little bit more about um, your incredible work and experience. Uh, I'd like to shift to talk a little bit about, uh, maybe take a step back and say um, something about fertility. We hear, and I think certainly my generation of women, um, there was a lot of talk about the biological clock and when that is and how long, on the one hand, pushing women to maybe push the limits of the biological clock. Um, I'd be really interested, and I think our listeners would like to know specifically about the ages and stages and uh, possible limits of fertility and what you what you talk to your how you, how you think about that. Um, so it's really interesting because last week I was at um, the school where my daughter was at high school, um, essentially giving the talk about 
you know, contraception, safe sex, um, responsible behavior for the girls that are 18 and about to go off into the world. Wow, um, I'm already impressed. <laughs> which, which for me is also, you know, I, I, I preface that by saying this is a religious girls school, you know, ideally this is, you know, we would want you to be carrying on, you know, to be having a relationship and intimacy within Kudusha and, and, and with your future partner. But I, I know that some of you are not, not going, are going to be sexually active before that. I mean, that's a, another whole topic that I, I'm not going to talk about today, but, but within talking about um, being responsible about their bodies and decisions that they make. And if they do decide to be sexually active, protecting themselves against sexually transmitted disease and pregnancy, I also talk to them about fertility because my general feeling in terms of the education, both in Israel and worldwide, is that we teach teenagers about how to prevent pregnancy and how to be responsible. And we don't necessarily necessarily teach them about the expectations of fertility. And so I did talk to these 18-year-old girls about fertility um, and about fertility preservation and about the the expected ages um, and the decline in fertility because I think that a lot of young women have the impression, firstly, that that they can do it all. Um, And I I think I'm of that generation where where I I definitely, you know, thought that I could study and have a family and, and do it all and when I couldn't do it all at certain stages, it, it was a big shock because I, w- I was prepared to, you know, I had this sort of open-minded feminist education um, that women can do it all. And I think that for these girls to know from a young age that it's not all so simple and there may be fertility challenges um, and to know about the option of fertility preservation, I said, you know, you might just listen and totally like push it off and and maybe in a few years or in 10 years something might might come back, that's okay. I just wanted to, again, back to planting and, and growth, I wanted to plant that seed because I think that women need to know that there is a biological clock or a biological trajectory. And as women, um, our fertility from basically the time we're born or by the time from the time we're in utero, our peak number of eggs um, is at 20 weeks in, in our mother's uterus and from there it all goes downhill and we sort of lose eggs on a monthly yearly basis but the usual decline um, in a women's in a woman's fertility declines more rapidly around the mid-30s um, for some women though that can happen much earlier and for almost all of us from you know around our 20s it, it'll be a downward slope And one of the major issues is that a lot of women are unaware of this and a lot of women don't know that they can go and be assessed and get information about their personal fertility, what I would call a fertility snapshot. Where am I holding now? What would my expected fertility be? Um, Are there any reasons for concern? You know, some women, I, 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 I take a history and I look at their tests and I say, your fertility is looking great at the moment. You know, we can freeze your eggs if that's what you want to do. But I, I want you to know that on the basis of your tests, and obviously there's another person in the picture when we talk about fertility, it's not just got to do with the ovarian function. But I think what you're asking specifically about the biological clock and age and fertility, really we're talking about the function of the ovaries, which declines naturally with age. 
And one of the things I said to the girls, and I'll repeat it, is that what happens with us in terms of our biology doesn't necessarily fit where we are in our personal, social relationship stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the olden days where young women were married off early or, you know, started having a relationship at a very young age, started having babies in their teens, it fit a lot closer with their biological clock because they were having children at the time that they were at their peak fertility. And then that sort of, you know, waned naturally with time, whereas a lot of women nowadays are either not in a relationship or not getting married until a later stage and are choosing to pursue their career, their studies, other things before starting a family. Um, and, you know, in the States there was a lot of discussion when when a couple of companies, Google, Facebook, started offering their employees, their female employees, they sponsored egg freezing to help women. And there's actually been a whole debate about that, whether that was something good for those women because it gave them the opportunity to freeze eggs or is it sending a message, you know, you can put your baby making on hold. Now we're giving you the opportunity to be, you know, like men and pursue your career and, and you can put that, mothering side you know on hold for now and and there's kind of a whole mixed message about that but but the truth is that that women today um are are really struggling to find the right timing and and to discover that where they are biologically may not match where they are personally and even though biologically the best thing might be at a certain age Yes, this is the age where ideally it's best to start having babies, not just in terms of fertility, but also in terms of the quality of the eggs, the genetic quality of the eggs, the risk of chromosomal abnormalities, which rises as women age, as well as the risk of fertility and problems and and miscarriage, that all rises with age. So there are a lot of good biological reasons to start a family young but that doesn't necessarily fit with what's happening on a soci- sociological level with a lot of young women. Mm. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't want to stress people out, but yeah. I, I think Thank it's you. important to be aware of of what the expectations are and to know that there is an option to freeze eggs for later on down the track for women who are currently not in a relationship and would like to have children with a partner in the future. I mean, there's obviously an option for women to be a parent without a male partner um, and through donor sperm, that's that's an option. But a lot of women don't want to do that and they want to wait till they're in a relationship and for them, egg freezing may be an option. But at the moment, there's no real, I guess, guideline that says women of this age go and have a fertility assessment. But I would say... I think any woman age 25 should just go have an assessment, sit with a fertility doctor, hear about fertility. could be very reassuring to just know that things are going um, according to the norm, my body's normal, everything's functioning as it should be. Um, And then there will be some women that, that will be able to flag and say something isn't right here. We would recommend intervening. We can do this for you. Yes. Because the hardest thing as a fertility doctor is to see women where it's just 
too late to help. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I've talked a little bit about the fertility limits. That said, we also have the option of donor eggs for women who can't conceive with their own eggs. They're able, women in Israel are able um, to, to use donor eggs until age 54. So we're really pushing the limits. And that's not only for women um, beyond a certain age, it's also for women who may have had chemotherapy or may have had an ovary removed for whatever reason. So it's still another option to pursue motherhood, um, even if their ovaries aren't functioning mm. or, or, or have if they've hit some sort of problem at a younger age. So I guess I would say in Israel up to age 54, um, we, we can help somehow. Beyond age 54, we don't offer any fertility treatments. There are some countries in the world that do, but Israel is up to 54 and wow. it's up to 45 with one's own eggs. Mm -hmm. So beyond yeah. age 45, you would have to use your own eggs that you froze previously or embryos, fer fertilized eggs that were frozen or donor eggs, but you still have options to conceiving. Hmm, incredible. Wow. So from a so taking it back to earlier, um, and perhaps in a preparatory uh perspective, uh, what can young women do to enhance their fertility? And as the mother of of young young women, what messages uh can mothers uh give their 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 daughters, their kids about fertility? Um, so I, I think it's important that fertility is something that, that is discussed, that's a word that is heard, um, that, that's, that's something that's not taboo. Um, and, and I also think it's important for communities, families and communities to know how common fertility challenges are. That, and we, we think it's about one in eight couples. Um, it's something very common. So besides from being aware of it and, and thinking about reaching out and helping people who who may be struggling with fertility issues because pretty much all of us know people who who are going through fertility struggles and that that's a whole other issue of you know when we discussed this I discussed this when I was in Australia with Naomi um, with the community there you know how much is it a personal and how much is it a public concern and, and that's a very delicate balance but I think number one that fertility is is not a taboo, a taboo subject, that it's something we can discuss not just with our girls but also with our boys. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that is both a bracha um, and, and, a, and a tzivoy. Um, and, and I think that there's so much, like in the parashiyot and, and, and in, in, in Chumash and Navi and the sources and, and you know, that, that comes up and, and we can use that as, as springboards to discuss you know, the, the, the struggles of the imahot and the avot and, and their tefillot, that, that can be an easy way to open it up and, and break, the, break the taboo around it. Um, I also think that it's important that um, girls and young women understand their body's norms, um, what's a normal menstrual cycle, when, when is it not regular, when should I be seeking help, should I be going to see my family doctor or gynecologist, um, painful painful periods irregular periods um, other hormonal problems if it's you know skin or hair growth or or other things that might hint at hormonal imbalance um, 
if if there are issues that come up going to get checked um, I don't think every young woman needs to be keeping a diary from age 12 from her first period and know every single cycle I, I mean they don't have diaries nowadays anyway they have apps exactly. but, and, and they pretty much do know they pretty much do know and they can just whip out the app so they're they're, they're, they're way ahead of what our generation was but I, I don't think it should be again a point of stress I think it's good for young women to know their body so that they can know when something's off um, and to know when they can get help. My recommendation is that all young women before they finish school should see a doctor um, just to know that everything is okay and, and that doesn't need to involve an internal. I, I think in the States, um, OBGYNs there are more um more inclined to actually do an internal on on every young woman that walks in the door here we're a little bit more conservative but I still think before girls go either into the army or Shirley or me um, it's a good idea to just have a general checkup even if that's mainly conversation to flag any concerns before because I get calls all the time from mothers of girls either in the army or or up in in Shirley or me up in the up somewhere in the north or down south where they don't have access to an OBGYN and definitely not a female OBGYN and they've got no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, So my recommendation is everyone should have at least some sort of consultation um, just to make sure that things are as they should be and that young women should be aware of the norm for their body and when things change, when and how and from whom they could seek help. Um, and, And I think that the messages of healthy body and healthy cycles. So for women to be having regular cycles also requires them to be um, within a normal weight range. So very extreme underweight or very extreme obesity um, or excessive exercising can can be times where women's cycles completely stop. And we do see that with some teenage girls that are either training excessively or have have lost a lot of weight um, and that that's one of the other messages to young women um, that it's really important to have a healthy balanced diet and to exercise in a balanced way and I think the key that keeps coming up here is balance yeah. so that's one of the other messages when you ask what can we do um, to promote it I, I would say awareness mm-hmm. and also um, looking after one's body in terms of diet and exercise and 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 awareness that they would be the main messages that I would have for teenagers hmm. and wow. young women. Yes, and uh, we mothers have to internalize that as well. Um. Uh, true, true, and and it's not always easy to talk about. Um, and and sometimes I find that I am helping help helping the mums sort of yeah. figure out how to say all of this. Um, I mean, because I'm a gynecologist that started already years ago when their kids asked questions about the birds and the bees, I, I helped with that and and the stages and ages, but all in the right time. Um, and, and I think it's not so easy and it's not so easy for women who may have had their own personal struggles with their weight or, or fertility struggles. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, I guess, part of the message of, of breaking down that taboo to be able to say, well, you know, things weren't always that easy for me or a couple of my friends had struggles and and you can get help. And, and I think that there is 
where to turn and to whom to turn for help is hugely important when when we speak to our kids or when we speak to people about these issues to know that you can turn to a doctor in the kupa you can you can turn to um, units in the hospital like there are places to receive help Um, because I think that one of the major themes that we see with with women and couples grappling with fertility challenges is the feeling of loneliness and and not knowing sort of where to turn to and where to get help mm-hmm. um, and feeling like there's no help. Right. So there right. is where to turn to for help. Um, and I guess my other message is, is one of the 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 nefesh the the psychological spiritual health that I think is also part of women's bodies and health and 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 fertility and sexual health um, is also not just about our bodies as a body it's about how we see our bodies how we connect to our bodies what we may have gone through as 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 children as young women um, whether it be carrying trauma from the past or or negative experiences or positive you know that all of that also is going to affect both fertility and and how we perceive our bodies and and how we eventually connect with our partner so so it's definitely not only about the cycle length or the body mass index there's there's a very broad big picture that encompasses a whole lot of aspects Yes. So uh, we have a few moments left. So a few minutes left. So I'd like to ask you one final question, which of course I often, my final question is usually hooks in somehow to the amazing work of the Eden Center, which I know you're an amazingly important part of. Um, You and Naomi recently went to Australia, as you mentioned, to launch the Birkat Emuna resource for mikvah during infertility and loss uh, in Australia. Uh, I'd love to hear you talk for a moment about the intersection between mikvah and fertility or infertility, depending what what stage your your patients and the women are at. Um, yeah, so I could probably go on for hours. I'll try to keep it short, but it, it was a really amazing experience to be in Australia um, with Naomi and and representing Eden. Um, and also there um, as as guests of the Australian Friends of Shari Tzedek, um, which really, you know, connects connects my world. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two things that I want to say, um, and, and one is that I think that part of what I've been talking about, about recognising a normal healthy cycle and recognising one's own norm um, and knowing, therefore, when something is out of out of kilter or, or or off and when to get help i think that women that are observing uh, mikvah are just a little bit more aware of their cycles by virtue of the fact that they have to be aware and know when they need to start counting these days when they're normal when they usually go to the mikvah even if you know they always know they go on a tuesday and then all of a sudden they're not that that's sometimes a sort of bell you know a warning wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, and and being aware of their body's, you know, normal secretions and and perhaps when, when something is not normal for them. Um, so I think it allows women to have a closer awareness of, of their body's norms and when things perhaps are off, off track for them. I think 
I don't think that every single woman using mikvah is is practicing fertility awareness or is necessarily super aware. But I think that some women without even realizing it are a little more aware of of the fertile discharge or, or when when their fertile window is. That said, I have many women who go to mikvah regularly and have zero idea of when they're ovulating and look at me like I'm from Mars when I ask if they know when they're ovulating, when it is in relation to mikvah, zero idea. So it's definitely not everybody. Um, I think that the main message that we wanted to share in Australia and 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 the big message of, of Birkat Emunah is that mikvah can be a place of of rejuvenation and renewal and connection with one's body during the time of fertility struggles when one of the overwhelming experiences um, is one of my body is not doing what it's meant to be doing and and somehow my my role as a woman as a fertile woman as a mother as a potential mother I, I'm not able to achieve that. And, and the disconnect that a lot of women feel going through fertility struggles and what I think Berkat Emuna provides is, is a framework for women to, um, to feel that they can connect and that they can use the experience of mikvah of one of strength and empowerment and, and connection with their body and, and with themselves and then with their partner. Um, and, and I think that's also true when we look at loss. Um, even though those times going to mikvah um, can, be, can be the hardest times going to mikvah um, after we've experienced a loss or, or when we're struggling with, with fertility, they can be times when it's really, really challenging. Um, but essentially um, what 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 Birkat Emuna is about is is to give women um, the opportunity to connect and and to read tefillot that have been written by by others and to again break down that feeling of loneliness mm-hmm. um, and to give restore faith um, in in each woman that that her body is is powerful that she has strength um, and and to give her back that bracha of of fertility. So, and it fits um, in beautifully with our theme of of Shvat and moving from winter to spring of, uh, you know, the seeds of hope and, um, and in a way like nature, like trees sort of somehow finding ways to shed the, the sadness, the disappointment, the frustration and, um, and keep going the, the, I think, uh, the human ability and women's ability to, uh, to keep going and to keep hopeful and to keep optimistic is really quite an amazing thing. I, I would add to that to always be seeking like trees for me represents also growing upwards mm-hmm. um, and, and having our roots in the earth, which I think is very, is very feminine. You know, we've, we've got, we've got our roots deep in the earth, but, but we're always mankind but women as well we're always optimistic and, and we're looking up to Shamaim and and our tefillot are directed there and 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 there's that growth and, and and renewal so so please god may may we may we be zoche to to 
have the flowering and the budding and 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 the fruits um and to Bemet be be fruitful um as a blessing as a blessing amen thank you so much and khodesh tov khodesh tov thank you very much this podcast is hosted by the eden center whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedincenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe.